Friends, welcome back. It's another episode of Coffee and Kernels, and if you notice, my voice is still not quite up to snuff. I fell ill earlier this week, and it was the sore throat from hell, and I'm still trying to recover from it, but we're going to do our best day to film a great podcast. So thanks again for joining me. I'm Bryce. This is the Coffee and Kernels podcast, which is an affiliate of the Bankrupt Hippo channel. Now, as I clear my throat and try to get things going again, that's a little bit better. Today, we're going to talk a lot about Bond. For whatever reason, this particular week and time, I found myself watching two Bond films, and I finally, one of them finally included Spectre, which I haven't, I it was the only Daniel Craig Bond movie I hadn't seen yet, so now I decide I'm going to make that the main topic for today's episode, but among uh, Spectre, among Quantum of Solace, because I actually rewatched that yesterday, and uh, Uncharted 2, among Thieves, because I just finished the game last night. Uh, we're going to just kind of dive right in and rank all the different Daniel Craig Bond movies and I'll talk about some box office, but that's what's in store for today. Let's jump right into it. Okay, so we're going to start off with a little bit of a discussion or I guess my thoughts on Spectre. I've already written a review, filmed a review for it. It's on the Bankrupt Hippo channel if you guys want to go ahead and give it a watch. Uh, long story short, I'll just say this. Spectre was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Going into it, I know that it wasn't critically acclaimed very high and audiences were pretty divided on it. In fact, if I look on Rotten Tomatoes, I might as well jump on over there right now. Spectre. There we go. That's better. Yeah, so Spectre's at 63% critically and 61% of audiences. So it doesn't seem as though people really... Not as many people really enjoyed it. However, I got to say, I deeply enjoyed Spectre. It is a level above just being good, in my opinion. In fact, it was so good, if this is any consolation, that I actually rented it one night. I had like a $5 gift card from Microsoft for being an Xbox Game Pass member. I rented it on the Microsoft app. That was a mistake because the Microsoft app is just not good. But I watched it. I enjoyed it so much that the next night I went and rented it on YouTube TV and 4K, which was a phenomenally better viewing experience. And I enjoyed it just as much, as much again the second time around. So suffice to say that I think Spectre is a lot better than what people gave it credit for. What did I not love so much about it? I'll start off with that first. I think my biggest issue with it, as well as with a lot of other Bond films in the Daniel Craig era, is the villain just wasn't that compelling in my opinion and i would argue that there is one and a half villains in this movie there is blofeld which is the leader of specter he is the main antagonist of this movie played by christoph waltz who i thought christoph waltz did a phenomenal job in this role just the villain wasn't in it enough for me and the half is actually dave bautista's hinks dave bautista this is one of his earlier acting roles if i'm not mistaken i'd have to fact check myself on that later but hinks as the half villain was just so unconvincing, so not utilized as effectively as he should have been that I kind of wondered why they put him in the movie at all. The reason being is because of the fact that they give Hanks almost no dialogue. They go for this kind of daring approach, which I appreciate of Hanks's actions speak louder than words. They really tried going for that. It's just within the context of the movie, it didn't really land quite that well. You've got this henchman, so to speak, who's trying to hunt down Bond and uh, what is her what is her name in the movie? I can't remember everybody's name. I'm on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I might as well just check really quickly. 
Madeline, played by by Leah Sedois. Wow, why it shows you how well I'm remembering things today. But Hanks is like main purpose is to hunt down Bond and Madeline. They make that clear. That's fine, but. Then they don't give him any dialogue and they put him in some of the most profound moments of the film. And it just comes across as awkward because he's just this big bad that you can't really latch onto and really understand at any type of level. So it's just a meathead. And that just doesn't make for a very compelling villain. So that's why I give Hinks as kind of a half villain and more of a henchman role, so to speak. He's involved in the most profound moments, but he's got no dialogue. And therefore can't be elevated to a new level. Although the approach to that particular character was interesting. It just didn't land well. And when it comes to Blofeld, who is the main antagonist, they do a great job of giving him substance, supplementing him with a great actor in Christoph Waltz. I thought he gives a great performance in that. And the issue is he's just not in the movie quite enough and doesn't have a quite a big enough, enough role of the film to be elevated past what the script gives him if, or elevated elevated being into the upper echelon of villains and it's just a real shame because there's a lot of potential there there's a lot of intrigue behind Blofeld it's just the script fails to capitalize on that because he's just not in the movie enough it's like you finally get to about I'll say maybe the as somewhere between the last half and the last third of the film, and you finally get to really interact with Blofeld on a meaningful level. And then by then the movie kind of wraps up and it's too late. So you get like two seconds to really try to grasp on a Blofeld as a villain. And then the movie just kind of ends. So overall with the lack of a really compelling and excellently uh, executed villain, I think that's where it leaves Spectre a bit to be desired, although it doesn't kill the experience for me. And it, the, the experience I thought overall was still pretty great. Now, that kind of brings me into what I really enjoyed most about this movie. And for one, the, this Bond movie, it does what the Bond franchise does best. It provides you with excellent action. And they really get creative in Spectre with it. They've got some really cool helicopter fighting action sequences in fact the opening fighting sequence i'd say is one of the most killer ones in the movie by far they get really creative in that regard and that made for some really great entertainment they start to introduce some different things with the henchman hanks in those fighting scenes that i thought was really interesting they involve trains which is really excellent and if you're looking for an action-packed experience bond does not fail to provide that in any way shape or form and then of course they frame Daniel Craig's Bond in this movie as he is with the other Bond movies as more of a bruiser. He really gets down and dirty, bare knuckle brawling, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And when he's on a rampage, they really sell it to the point of where it's almost a little bit disbelieved in a couple of regards. There's one scene in particular where I kind of thought to myself, not sure if that's actually possible, but I'm no physicist, so I can't tell you for sure. The other thing I really enjoyed was I really thought that the performances in the movie were top notch, especially between Daniel Craig as Bond. Ray finds as M really comes to into his own in this movie. I thought he excelled quite well. And Ben Wishaw as Q. I thought the combination of those three really elevated the movie into something a little bit more special than just being typical. I'll, uh, since I've already kind of talked about Daniel Craig as Bond, in this movie and many other times. I'll start off with Ray Fiennes' performance as M. 
Ray finds his performance as M. He exercises two things that I think really elevate him. It's genu it's genuinity and one other uh I think it's sincerity is the other one I'm looking for too. Maybe a little bit of crassness in there. But Ray finds he just gives a lot of charisma in the role. He is now the Mallory or M in charge of MI6, and he really makes you believe it he doesn't necessarily rule with an iron fist but he rules with a lot of charm a lot of charisma and just enough brashness to make you believe that he is the leader of mi6 and he does what he has to and the best part is the script gives him the room to back up the fact that he's just not some pencil pusher behind a desk he can practice what he preaches and he'll do it really well now when you couple what really makes ray fine special and especially integral to this film is that he's so good that it doesn't require Daniel Craig's Bond to be on screen at all times. Whenever we're in scenes where Bond isn't the center of attention, Ray Fiennes takes on that mantle really, really well in pretty much the entire movie whenever he's called upon to do so. And I think that really makes the movie a well-rounded experience and really makes it just something wholesome. So Ray Fiennes, I think, was an integral piece of this movie and really elevated it past being typical. Now... Where's Ben Wishaw coming into this equation? Well, Ben Wishaw as Q or quartermaster of MI6, him and 007 have a lot of banter back and forth between each other. And the humor, the humorous approach that they take to it feels very organic, very natural for their characters. And it really shows off the wit of not only Q, but also 007. And I really enjoy that piece of the film. In a movie that's very serious and i'd argue perhaps a little bit more dark in the bond franchise i thought it was much needed and it was well placed comic relief without feeling too overbearing it's not as though specter does this bad habit of having a really serious moment and then throwing in a joke there to kill the mood no it's like the the jokes are well placed the comedic timing is well placed the humor is well executed and i really think it elevates the movie in between ben Wishaw and uh, Daniel Craig, they play off of each other really well. They elevate their characters greatly in that regard. And again, making the movie an even better experience. Plus, it's really cool to see the gadgets that Q comes up with and also has to relay to the other agents. It's really fun and it really made me enjoy the movie. And another interesting, the last really awesome thing that I liked about Spectre that I'll touch upon before I got to move on because I'm already 10 minutes into the episode is the fact that this movie really plays into the idea of seduction, I think, quite well. And I think it does this in two ways. One, it does this by playing into really Bond's womanizing, super spy, charming kind of stereotype, archetype, whatever you want to call it. It plays into that seduction quite well. And it also plays into the seduction of intellectuality really well, too. What I mean by that is the main overarching idea we'll call it, of this movie is data and also monitoring citizens. And for me, the seduction of when you combine that with intelligence agencies and how that can sway even the most powerful leaders, I thought that was a really interesting idea touched upon Inspector. And it even got me thinking a little bit as the average person. So really did great in that regard, but also the seduction on the more sexuality perspective of Spectre, I thought was really played upon well. Bond as a character is demonstrated to be a charming guy, a very promiscuous guy who is just very good at being charming, being him. And the movie 
gives you a couple of opportunities to really see that unfold but it does so in such a way where it makes sense with the plot which is really hard to do and it's also not gratuitous it feels meaningful it feels of substance and it really mixes up the movie quite well so i think that it nails that down in a way that very many other movies fail to do so i gotta give mad props to specter for doing that and managing to integrate that meaningfully so Friends, I'm going to say I'm probably, I'm still in the, my, in the majority on Spectre. I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of uh, Daniel Craig's better Bond outings, and I think it's just a really great movie, so I highly recommend watching it. But I want to know what you guys think. Have you seen Spectre? Do you enjoy it? Whatever you think, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. Okay, so now, now that we're about 13 minutes into the episode, I'll transition into Quantum of Solace because I got onto a Bond kick. Bond kick, Bond kick, yeah. I'll just I'll forget I just said that oh uh, the next day I ended up watching Quantum of Solace on a whim in fact Quantum of Solace I believe is the shortest of the Bond films and it was free on Netflix so I'm like well I gotta revisit this uh, eventually why not right now let's get into it so I watched Quantum of Solace and it's my least favorite of the Bond films I still contend that I just wanted to rewatch that to confirm that however it's not a bad movie I think that a lot of people are a little bit more harsh on Quantum of Solace than they really need to be. It's not a garbage pile. It's not a mess. It still delivers great action. It delivers a bruising Daniel Craig. And it's got a great dynamic between him and character Dominique, who's of, I believe, Bolivian Secret Service in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. There's some very redeeming qualities about it that make it worth watching, make it very much worth enjoying. And I really love the opening Bond theme song, too. That's pretty great with, I believe, it's Sam Smith and also uh, Jennifer Hudson pretty good those are two names i haven't heard in a long time excuse me if i i, I have to cough i think <coughs> oh excuse me anyway <clears throat> there's some redeeming qualities about quantum of solace that i just mentioned earlier however where quantum of solace falls short for me and i'd say the cons don't quite outweigh the pros but the problem with quantum of solace is it's convoluted in Quantum of Solace, it gets very confusing. It gets a little hard to follow. It tries to spin upon us this revenge tale that you don't quite buy into. And that lends itself to trouble because of the fact that it comes this close to having to watch a previous movie before watching it to fully understand it. However, I won't go that harshly because having not seen Casino Royale in a long time, I was still able to follow Quantum of Solace enough to enjoy it. It's just I felt a little lost at times. Because they keep making references to characters in the previous film. They keep making uh, preludes to it. And it just, it lends itself to getting lost a little bit. And it even try the script even tries to get a little audacious and trying to spin some different ideas that feels like it's even overreaching a little bit. It's trying to reach too deep into the cookie jar to the point where it's like, I don't quite buy into it. So... When a movie gets confusing, especially in a spy setting, that's where you can lose a lot of your audiences. So I don't blame people for being harsh on Quantum of Solace. I just think people are perhaps a little bit too harsh, in my in my opinion. I think that's the biggest gripe I have with Quantum of Solace. I haven't actually done a full review on it quite yet. Another thing I will say, and that it's another really big shame of some of these Daniel Craig Bond movies, is again, the villains in Quantum of Solace are just not that great. They are very... I mean, these are about as typical as you can get. A it, One comes in the form of uh, Dominic Green, who is 
a wealthy CEO, mad scientist, I guess we'll call him, who's bent on corruption. You can't get much more of a typical Bond villain than that. And then additionally, a general who is just a scumbag. Again, another Bond villain. You can't get much more stereotypical than that. The one interesting dynamic between those two villains is the fact that Quantum of Solace is able to integrate them both into this movie as villains without it feeling too overcrowded. So I got to give Quantum of Solace props to that. So really interesting stuff. Another redeeming quality that I want to touch upon before I move on. The movie provides a lot of shock value. Quantum of Solace does that. It goes in areas I didn't expect. And I'll just leave it at that before I keep coughing again. So friends, Quantum of Solace, my least, <coughs> God damn it. My least favorite of the Bond films. Still pretty good in my in that regard. What do you think of it? You know where the comment section is. Let me know. Okay, so now before... I get into the box office results. I want to talk about the fact that I finished Uncharted 2 Among Thieves yesterday and just give, I guess, a little quick review on it before I get into box office. So Uncharted 2, I really loved it. I liked it better than Uncharted 1, which is Drake's Fortune. It builds upon things that Drake's Fortune did. It does what all great video game sequels do, right? And this isn't uncommon for video games where... The sequel is better than the original because they learned from the first one so well that they applied all of it to the second one. So that is Uncharted 2 in a nutshell. It does everything that the first one does, but it does it better. The stealth is a little bit better. I think it still leaves a little bit to be desired. The hand-to-hand combat is a little bit better. I think in the first one, it was quite clunky. I think the counterattacks are a little bit better. The punches land a little bit better. The stealth lends itself a little bit better. And it makes it a much more well-rounded experience. I thought the story was quite good. It was quite interesting. It was a little bit better. It's more than just a treasure hunt in this case. The one gripe that I had with Uncharted is the Uncharted 2 is the fact that Sully is a very beloved character, it seems, throughout the franchise. I haven't played all the games that I just know from research that Sully, people love Sully, right? And as much as he was in the first game and how much he was loved, I'm really shocked he wasn't in the second game that much. In a nutshell, he's in the first and he's in the second game for a little while. Then he kind of says, peace him out and doesn't return till the very end, which I thought was a strange choice. And I just thought that was kind of strange with how popular he was that he wasn't in the second one that much. So plus they do a great job of building off of the relationships between characters to Nate and his relationship with everyone around him is much more interesting. And it makes the game a lot better. So that's just my really quick thoughts about Uncharted 2. Friends, what do you think about Uncharted 2? Whatever you think, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. Let's talk about some weekend box office results. We'll get into the previous weekend results. These are from Box Office Mojo. So coming at number one for the second weekend in a row was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which made about $61.2 million. Then coming in at number two was The Bad Guys making $7 million. Coming in at number three was Sonic the Hedgehog 2 making $4.7 million. Coming in at number four is Firestarter making $3.8 million. Coming in at number five is Everything Everywhere All at Once making $3.3 million. So really, not really a whole lot of surprises there for me. I've I've given you all my thoughts pretty much on the previous episode. Firestarter's got 11% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I checked this morning. Doesn't seem to be that great of a movie. I don't know if I'm going to watch it, but I'm not surprised it didn't make as much money. But let's let's get into this weekend's projections that's the more interesting of the two so let me jump on over to deadline the projections as of yesterday morning uh dr strange in the multiverse of madness is projected to come out on top again no surprise there it's projected to make about 30 million dollars 
Coming at number two is actually a debut. Downton Abbey, a new era, is projected to make $18 million on its debut weekend. Me, I'm not a big fan of Downton Abbey. It seems to be really popular. Seem, people seem to love it. I'm not surprised it's debuting at number two, and I'm also not surprised that it's not going to outscore a Marvel movie. That's just kind of the reality that we live in. Coming at number, at number three is The Bad Guys making $5.7 million in its fifth weekend. That movie's got some legs to it. Coming in at number four, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 making another about $4 million in its seventh weekend. Again, another movie that just keeps on rolling. And then number five, another movie from A24 right now in theaters, Men, making $3.3 million. I totally forgot that this movie was actually debuting. I know nothing about it. I can't speak much about I can't speak much to it. But the one thing I want to highlight, and I never do this on weekend box office projections, but this is a special case. Coming at number six is Everything Everywhere All at Once, making $3.2 million. Now, you might be wondering, why are you talking about the sixth place movie in the box office? You never do that. Well, because with this weekend's numbers, Everything Everywhere All at Once just became A24's highest grossing domestic movie of all time. It's now surpassed Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems made $52 million domestically. Well, Everything Everywhere All at Once has made $52.3 million, so... I'm taking this moment to celebrate everything everywhere all, all at once. It's my second favorite movie of the year. It's really, really good. It's a lot of fun. You should all go see it. And I just want to try out. I just want to try out the movie as a more independent film and the fact that it's so good and it's making a lot of money. So it's probably going to be the shortest box office report in the world because, like I said, trying to speed up the episode and I keep coughing. So, friends, any surprises for you on this list? You surprised about Downton Abbey or Men? I'll take a shout out of the canon next week. Top Gun Maverick when it debuts, it's going to be number one. It's going to surpass Doctor Strange. That's that. That's the tweet. Now, finally, uh, if I can get into all of it without coughing too much, let's see if we can rank some Daniel Craig James Bond movies. So now that I watched Spectre, I've seen all five Daniel Craig Bond films, and I thought to myself, why not just rank them all? So. I'm going to go ahead and take a little bit of a walkthrough through all five movies, rank them from worst to best, and give a couple of reasons as to why. So if I can get through it without coughing too much, well then, great. If not, well, this might be a shorter segment than I intended, unfortunately. All right, so coming in at number five, no surprise here, is going to be Quantum of Solace for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Um, I'll sum it up to this Quantum of Solace. It's, I think it's the worst of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, although it's not a bad movie. I think it's a little bit too convoluted for my liking. It's a little confusing, and it makes it really hard to follow the revenge tale that the movie is trying to spin. Having said that, the action is quite stellar as it is in all of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. His tie-ins and his relationship with some of the characters like Mathis and also Dominique are very endearing, and Judy Dench's M does a really great job to supplement the movie as well. Plus, Quantum of Solace does something that's very difficult to do, having multiple antagonists and successfully integrating them into the movie without making it feel too overcrowded. So, Quantum of Solace, it's a good movie, although it's my least favorite of the Daniel Craig Bond films. That's why it's coming at number five. Coming in at number four for me is going to be Skyfall. Skyfall is a very, very popular Bond film. In fact, made over a billion dollars worldwide. Critics and audiences across the board seem to absolutely love it. Me, I'm not as bullish on it, I think, as a lot of people are. For me, the biggest problem is its pacing. It spends about the first half of the movie trying to get James Bond up to speed, and it doesn't really spend much time on 
really an objective. It's kind of meandering around. It feels like it's waiting for itself to hurry up, which is very, very strange. In fact, if I had to kind of sum it up, I almost feel like they could have split Skyfall into two different Daniel Craig Bond films, one in which James Bond gets out of commission and has to recover, and the other in which he pursues Javier Bardem's villain, which I can't remember his name in the film right now, but... It just felt like something didn't quite add up in Skyfall. And I thought the introduction of, of uh, Ray Fiennes as M wasn't great in the movie as well. It's just I think Skyfall could have been executed a lot better. And it was just missing a lot of things in that regard. However, having said that, again, the action across the board in Skyfall is pretty great. Bond's promiscuous nature, again, shines through. The relationship that he has with M as Judy Dench is pretty excellent, and you really get a deep dive into who Bond is as a character and also Judy Dench as M a lot more, which is something that a lot of the Bond films fails to do, and I think that's one area where Skyfall scripts, Skyfall script executes most successful, so... Skyfall, I think it's still a pretty good movie. It's just I'm not as high on it as a lot of people are. That's why I'm, it's coming in at number four for me. And then coming at number three, of course, which I've already talked about, is Spectre. Spectre, to me, was... I had low expectations going to it. It far exceeded my expectations. It is a level above good. It is, I may say, dare say, somewhere between great and amazing. It, again... Killer action. It's got Daniel Craig as the bruising Bond that we've all come to know and love. Or if you've never seen any other Bond movies and you're watching him for the first time, he does a great job. It's a great introduction to the character. There are some intriguing ideas that are proposed. The movie's very seductive in both an intellectual and sexuality nature. The action set pieces are creative and different, I think, is where this movie shines in its brightest. Plus, the villain in Blofeld is a great villain. I think that's one area where it shines were better than it did in Skyfall or Quantum of Solace. However, Blofeld just wasn't in it enough for me to really elevate his role. The drawback for me was the fact that Hanks has pretty much no dialogue and it just made him feel really awkward and out of place. And uh, the biggest pro of the movie for me was the fact that Daniel Craig, Ray Fiennes, Ben Whishaw, all three of their performances on screen together or apart really elevated the movie. Ray Fiennes was a great, this is where he came into his own as M. He was a really great counteraction to Daniel Craig's Bond. Whenever Bond wasn't on screen, Ray Fiennes really carried a lot of the scenes he was in. Plus, the chemistry between Ben Whishaw and Daniel Craig in the movie I thought was excellent. It provides some great comic relief where we needed it most, and it didn't distract from the movie at all. Much like the seductive elements of the film that aren't gratuitous, they are all there for a purpose. It makes the movie feel very meaningful, very fresh. Plus, Spectre is extremely well-paced. The, sp the fact that it's got a two and a half hour runtime and it only feels like two hours, I think is a really big plus for me personally. So for those reasons, Spectre comes in at number three. And then at number two, which is the most recent of the Bond films, No Time to Die. I actually had to rewatch my own review of No Time to Die that I did way back in October, which I cannot believe it's getting close to nine months since then already. But No Time to Die, I'm going to say this about every Bond film because it's just the reality. The action was superb. And what really made this movie... High, higher above the rest of them for me was the fact that it did a great job of having a lot of characters who were excellent additives to the movie. 
I mean, you could argue there are like six or seven protagonists in the movie and all of them have their place within this film and never make it feel too overcrowded. They're all there for a purpose. They're all there to provide their own unique charisma DNA and they do so successfully. We get a very interesting relationship by dynamic between Bond and Madeline as characters. Some new pieces get introduced and you get to see a new side of Bond that you haven't quite seen before, which is his which is a part of his personal side. I don't want to give away spoilers here, but you get Bond in ways that you just haven't quite seen before. Plus, this is the longest Bond film of the five at two hours, 43 minutes, I believe was the runtime. This is another, again, another example of an almost three-hour movie only feeling like two. And that's extremely impressive given how long this movie is, that it can pace itself so well that you're having fun literally at all times. You're entertained at all times. The action comes at all times the plot is moving forward at all times and you're never quite getting bored and of course we get daniel craig at his best or at nearly his best in no time to die and it makes it really really a wonderful experience and one that's just really well balanced doesn't drag on at all and is pretty compelling in my opinion now the worst part again about this movie which is a really big Con in a lot of the Daniel Craig era Bond films is the fact that the villain I just didn't think was really all that great. Rami Malek, I didn't necessarily have a problem with him as the villain. It's just the villain's objective. I'm just kind of like, do I really buy into it? I don't think it's a poor objective. I don't think the rationale is poor. I just didn't. It just didn't resonate with me. The villain just wasn't for me. And it just isn't a huge surprise given the track record of my opinion on the Daniel Craig Bond era films. But that leaves us with number one, in my opinion, which is Casino Royale. Casino Royale, dare I say, is a borderline. I'm going to say borderline here because I don't think it's quite a masterpiece, but it is a borderline masterpiece. This was the introduction of Daniel Craig as Bond. And my God, did his era start with a bang. This was the most crass, the most brutal Bond and Bond film that I have ever seen. And it, I really, really dug it. I think it really fit well into the context of the film. Plus, it was supplemented very, very well and introducing a love interest to which the Bond movies don't always do a great job of doing. But you really buy into the love between Vesper and Bond throughout the movie, and it really elevates the experience. It really brings out some behavior in Vesper as a character that you wouldn't expect. It's shocking. It surprises you at every turn, and the brutality of it all really elevates the believability of the entire experience. Plus, this Bond movie does what the others, many others seem to have failed to have done in the Daniel Craig era, which is to have one of the best villains in cinema in Little Chief, played by Mads Mikkelsen. This was actually one of the first introductions of Mads Mikkelsen that I can think about as well. Mads Mikkelsen absolutely crushes it. He is a man that is of his own pain. He's got his own problems. He's not invincible, but by God, he is sinister and he will do what he has to do for his own circumstances and stakes as well. And the movie really gets you to buy into and to understand him as a character as well. So that movie is just incredible. Casino Royale is definitely the clear winner in my list of Daniel Craig Bond films. And for all of those reasons, can you blame me, really? <laughs> Last cough, I promise, before the episode ends. So, friends, that is my ranking of the Daniel Craig era Bond films. What do you think of my ranking? What is your own ranking? What would you change in the list? Whatever you guys think, please let me know in the comment section below. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
All right, so I'm going to send you guys away from this podcast episode again this week with two recommendations for the movie recommendation this week. I'm actually going to recommend that you go ahead and watch Casino Royale again. Go watch it. It's one of the best Bond films in history, and it's the best Daniel Craig Bond film, in my opinion. And then for the game recommendation, I'm going to recommend Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. It's a really great well, It's a really great play. It improves a lot upon what the first one faltered in. Go play it. Have some fun. Let me know what you think of it. So, friends... That'll do it for this episode of Coffee and Kernels. For those of you listening and watching, thank you so much for enduring through my coughing fits throughout this episode. We've made it. We are stronger and we are thriving now. So, friends, thank you so much for joining me for another Coffee and Kernels episode. This has been an affiliate of the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. If you like videos just like this, click right here if you'd like to see more. I've been Bryson. Until next episode, have a great week.